This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting out of New York, standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall and wearing the red, white, and blue trunks. Presenting Kyle Brandt. Oh yeah, thank you Bruce. We are wasting no time today because this is a really, really good one. If you've never listened before, if you haven't listened in a while, it's 10 questions. There are exactly 10 questions worth 10 points. We don't have guests on this show. We have contestants and they compete. And we've had some good ones. For the sake of you, the listener... And as well as today's contestant, who is currently listening in our green room, let's give a little context to some prior contestants on this program to see if he can take these ladies and gentlemen out. Hit it. I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I got six out of ten. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd, and I got a seven out of ten. I'm Tim Robbins, and I got seven out of ten. Just saying. I'm Joel McHale, and I got an eight out of ten because I have not seen the movie Stuck on You. I'm Guy Fieri, and I got six out of ten. It's Kyle Cheats. I do not cheat. I merely host, and I am thrilled to host this gentleman. Give me the music, please. Today's contestant likes his ribeyes exactly one and five-eighths inches thick. He grew up wanting to be the great John Riggins. One of his co-stars has said that when you hang out with him, you drink a little more, you feel a little cooler. He is spearheading the Wild Turkey with Thanks initiative, which I would love to get behind and we're going to talk about it and this gentleman says that if you do this it lowers your voice it relaxes you it makes people think you're crazy Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen Mm -hmm. it is my privilege Mm -hmm. to welcome mr matthew mcconaughey to 10 questions what's up matthew how are we doing i love the intro i thought i was gonna want bruce's intro but now i hear yours i'm glad you introduced me instead of bruce Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a huge compliment, Matthew. Bruce Buffer is a legend and the voice of 10 questions. I'm so excited to do this with you. Um, before we get into it, Matthew, you have a great life. You got a beautiful family. You got a little wild turkey in your glass. How, how's life, man? How are you feeling? Relatively speaking, good, sir. I mean, we, uh, we're still trying to not bump into this COVID thing. I've got my family, three kids, wife Camilla, my 88-year-old mother, Kay is with us and has been with us for seven months. Um, I'm in a pretty fortunate position, though. My pantry's full. I don't have to work today to pay my rent tomorrow, like a lot of people do. Um, But overall, we are doing pretty well. And I've been doing a virtual uh, uh, tour with my book, Green Lights, (coughs) doing a virtual tour now with the Wild Turkey with Thanks. And it's good to be talking to you today, man. Good to be talking to you, too. Green Lights is incredible. We're going to talk about that, too. I want to make sure, Matthew, I want to make sure you know what you're in for, Okay. 
10 questions. It's a competition now. And I know the athlete is in you. We're going to have to reach down and find your, your inner major Applewhite. And we're going to let this thing rip. 10 questions. Okay. All of which are somehow related to your life and your career. I'm going to ask you a question, Matthew. If you get it right, you're going to hear the following sound. Hit it. Right. If you don't get it right, see that song's badass. Matthew's already playing air guitar, but if you don't get it right, you hear this sound. Mm, yes, that's your crestfallen public. We don't yeah. want that. You also have one ace in the hole, my friend. If at any point you hear the, and these questions are going to be a little weird. If you got no clue, you guys say, I don't have any idea where to go with this. Call for the coin toss, and I'll narrow it down to two choices of which you can choose A or B. You only get to use it once. It's that simple. Are you ready to do this? Let's roll. Let's roll. Question number one with Matthew McConaughey. Again, the questions are somehow about your life. Matthew, your category for question one is travel. A famous unattributed quote from the 19th century urges you to do what, young man? Go west. He says go west with a little head bob. Is McConaughey right with question one? Oh, yeah. We are on the board, my man. Matthew, <laughs> you went west. Two weeks after graduating from college, you packed up a U-Haul and drove to California to pursue the dream. I wonder if I was riding shotgun with you and I had leaned over and said, McConaughey, what do you want to get out of this? What, what is your dream? What is your definition of success for chasing this California dream in Hollywood? What would you have said? Great question. I would have said, um, my, my dream in this is to go be so much myself out of here in, in this place called Hollywood where you can be whatever you want to be so much myself that I'll be an original. And the only McConaughey you can get is if you get me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, man, I want to be a huge movie star and I want to save the girl and I want to have superpowers. It was more about your own originality on that city? Yeah, it was about saying, look, I, I love telling stories, love being, being a storyteller, and now I'm going to go out and try to give it a go at doing it in front of the camera. Um, but I didn't have an idea of like, oh, this is the kind of movie I want to be in. Oh, did I want to be a movie star? Sure. Do I want to be a successful actor? Yeah. I also wanted this. I wanted to go, I'm going to go out there and I want to play my my game in the business of Hollywood. And there's a difference. Sometimes there's a game to Hollywood too, but if you play, play their game, it, <laughs> you can look up 10 years later and go, what the hell happened? Um, so what you get out there in Hollywood, and I noticed this immediately, is you get infinite yeses. Now we all know too many options can make a tyrant of all of us. Um, so I had to navigate those, enjoy the heck out of many of them. Um, and at the same time go, uh, you know what, can I, can I be a, go be a good actor? I didn't think about movie stars much as I said, can I go be a really good actor? Mm. That's why you're still in the game. People show up and think movie star. I look at you and I picture you showing up in the 90s, handsome as hell, charismatic, but that's 10,000 guys. Did you struggle at first to get work? I didn't. Actually. No. No, I tell you what I did do. Um, okay, a quick lesson before I tell you about how yeah. I did get my first two jobs. I get out to Hollywood, sleeping on the couch of a man named Don Phillips. He's the guy I met, introduced myself to in the bar in 1992 in Austin, Texas, who cast me in Days Confused, my yep. very first movie, which ended up being now not just a hobby one summer, but a career. I get out there, I'm sleeping on his couch. I got a U-Haul and I got 2,000 bucks. Okay. We're getting down to about 1,200, uh, 1,500 bucks. I start going like, hey, Don, and I, I, 
give me, can you give me a meeting with an agent? And he snapped at me and goes, shut up, shut up. I tell you this, if this city sees you, if Hollywood sees you needing it, you're done before you ever got started. What you need to do is get the hell out of here. Forget about Hollywood. Forget about needing this place. And when you're ready, I'll get you a meeting. Well, me and my buddy Cole Hauser and Roy Cochran, economy class tickets to Amsterdam, rode motorcycles uh, through through Amsterdam for four weeks, came back. I didn't even think about getting an agent, nothing. And after about a week, Don comes up, he goes, you're ready. I go, for what? He goes, tomorrow morning, got us a meeting with the agent. I go, oh, really? He goes, you see, you don't need it. You just want it. Be cool. So I remember showing up and uh, uh, was very relaxed in that meeting, very confident. I wasn't like, I got to have it. I got to have it. And I got the meeting. I was represented. The first two auditions I got sent on, Angels in the Outfield and, and uh, Boys on the Side, I actually landed the gig. Big movies. Right yeah. off the bat. Yep, right off the bat. And you attribute that to, in part to you and Hauser and Cochran in, in, in Amsterdam. And you got it out of your system and showed up and you were just chill. Showed up and was chill and was able to, you know, I, be myself. Look, I've learned it later in my career in different ways, too, after having a family. When all of a sudden things happen in our life where we can make that which which we need the most or feel like we need the most, when we make them number two, mm-hmm. we can actually be a lot better at getting what we want out of them because we don't have the pressure of they are the end all be all. And if I don't get that, then I am done. So that 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 helps a lot. Matthew referenced the the pressure of being number two. You are now on question number two, one for one. We got a completion to start the game, a little short win in the flat. We're moving the chains. Question number two, Matthew, your category is bowling. You like to go bowling sometimes? You familiar with bowling? Somewhat familiar. Somewhat. All right, that's my sweet spot on 10 questions. Matthew, your question, number two. Rolling three consecutive strikes is commonly known as rolling a what? Three consecutive strikes in baseball is your route. Um, yep. And, uh, um, oh, shit, I don't know. Some, some, um, give, me the, give me the AB. You want to go to the coin toss already? All right, McConaughey wants the coin toss. Give it to him. All right, McConaughey, here we go. If you roll three strikes in a row at whatever bowling alley in the world, is it known as rolling a goose or is it known as rolling a turkey? Goose. You say goose. Goose. Unfortunately, Matthew, that's incorrect. It's it's rolling a turkey. And why why would I ask you about the turkey? I'm drinking wild turkey long Because breath. we're drinking wild turkey, my friend. I'm going to pour some right now. I, I'm not even kidding. We haven't had drinking on this show since Aaron Rodgers was in episode one. I'm going to take it neat. I got some turkey because you are with the wild turkey with thanks. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. brother. Thank you so much. Tell you what. Tell us about wild turkey with thanks. I'm going to drink. This now we got a show. Tell us about this. Oh, it's a deep pull from McConaughey on his drink. I'm gonna have to keep up. So, Wild Turkey with Thanks. About four years ago on my birthday, I'm yeah. creative director over at Wild Turkey. So, about four years ago on my birthday, I was like, you know, what are the new ad campaigns that we want to do? And I went to the Russells and said, well, look, what about if we come to a turkey giveaway in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, right there, sure. where, where Wild Turkey's made, and we go around and get turkeys to people that can't. Wouldn't maybe not have a turkey on their own Thanksgiving, et cetera. And then we thought it was a great idea. So we went there and we did that. Had so much fun doing it. Saw how happy people were to receive a turkey. Tears in people's eyes. And, oh, my gosh, we delivered them door to door, thousands of them. Then we said, all right, well, each year, why don't we go find a way to give back or with thanks, show people gratitude. 
And, you know, there's never a shortage of places to show people gratitude. Every year you've got crises everywhere. So we had the, you know, the hurricane, went down to Houston and and barbecued and helped out those first responders. We uh, went to LA the year after that and helped out first responders during the, with the, um, that were on the front line with the fires. And then this year we said, all right, in these COVID times, let's highlight four individuals in America that are giving back to their communities that aren't asking for a light to be shown on them, but are giving back to their communities that are showing an unwavering conviction to go, I'm going to give back to my community something that they need. And we found four, four people that are doing that, that are um, uh, creating jobs for people in their city that are given necessities, COVID things, uh, diapers, backpacks, yeah. clothes for communities that don't have them. Um, putting musicians and a lot of hospitality workers back to work and getting them getting them jobs in this time when they've lost their job, mm-hmm. and so that's what the uh, the with thanks is about. And you can see those full stories; they're actually they're really cool on a Wild Turkey Instagram page. I mean, you just hit so many things from from jobs to to diapers to th- this type of year. It sounds like an unbelievable cause. Go to the Wild Turkey Instagram page; you can yeah, find check out, it out more. They're cool stories. Oh my gosh. I'm totally intrigued by that. And I'm totally, I gotta be honest, Matthew, I, I have not drank a lot of wild Turkey in, in my time, but this is real bourbon. No apologies. I mean, that's, this is real good. That's the real juice. Look, when, 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 when the sort of the, the nation in the world went through a little bit of a white spirits time, you know, they've been watching a lot of James Bond. So they said, totally. white spirits, babe, that's fine. You know what I mean? Give me and my gin. Back and, <laughs> and, and, and then there was people wanted bourbon light. Oh, I don't want my bourbons too. Maybe a little too harsh. I want it light. They went through a light phase. Wild Turkey, especially the 101, said, look, this is our horse. This is our 101 mash. That we're This is real bourbon. We're sticking with it. So as soon as people here a few years back came back and said, we want real bourbon again. Here was Wild Turkey going, we got plenty for you. That's so good. I love it. And I'm going to drink it for the whole damn show. I, I, Matthew, I, you may have to finish the last part of the show because I love this. It'll find you now. I love well, it. I'm, only, I'm, I'm, I'm one out of two and I've already used up my bonus question because I didn't That's get to the collection that it's turkey, not goose, because we're talking about wild turkey. Come on, McConaughey. I didn't no, know these goose. aren't the great goose people. These are the, the wild turkey people. <laughs> one out of two. We're going to question three. You're going to love this one. Matthew, this category is finish your line. I have a line from a movie that you've done. I'm going to play it and I'm going to stop. And when the line when stops, you finish the line. Yes. Okay. I'm going to so, if I said it, I'm betting this is going to be real easy. Let's find out. Let's see. We have Paul Rudd. He had Clueless. Tim Robbins got the Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to find a line that you... Now, it might be from U571. It might oh. be from one of my favorite movies of yours, Frailty, which I fucking love. Okay. Let's find out. Play the clip, and Matthew McConaughey, you're going to hear the clip stop. You finish the line. He's already smiling. Looks a little nervous. Matthew, finish your line. Hey, hop in, man. Hey, man, he's car. You know Wooderson? Oh. How's it going, man? Hey. Pretty good. How's it going with you? Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> Be a lot cooler if you did. Ha <laughs> <laughs> He's got it with the laugh. And we needed that laugh, brother, at the end. That is part of the line. Absolutely. Oh, it was great. The second you heard the lowrider tune, you, your body completely yeah. relaxed. I knew I had this one. Yeah, I knew I had this one. If there's a few you could have gone deep on that, I'd have been like, oh, geez, I have no idea. Yeah. No, I gave you a belt tie fastball. 
Matthew, I, I love Days and Confused. I, I, I love you. I love Cole Hauser, Jordan Lloyd Adams, Jason London, all of them. I've probably seen it a hundred times. And I know it means a lot to you. If, if you're sitting around on a Saturday, maybe a football game's at commercial and you're flipping channels and oh my God, Days and Confused is on, will you stop and watch it? I'll stop on that one. I won't stop on many of my films, uh, but I'll stop on that one because it's also one of those movies that you can step into it whenever. It's sort of like uh, Tropic Thunder. Sure. You can step into that whenever and yes. watch how much and get just a piece of something that goes, oh, awesome, badass. And Days is one of those movies where you can grab, even if it's just one scene in that commercial break and go, yeah. yeah. It's, the story is legendary. I, you, you had three lines in the movie as Wooderson, ended up just kind of milking it and working it to three weeks uh, work. Here's what I find fascinating. So many years later, you and your wife have a charitable foundation named after a line from that movie. You have a clothing line named after it. Yeah. You, you win the Oscar for playing an amazing movie about a man struggling with AIDS. And during your speech, you quoted and referenced Dazed and Confused. Why does that movie mean so much to who you are? Well, you know, all right, all right, all right. First three words I ever said on film in yeah. that movie, the very first night I worked and I wasn't even scheduled to work. There's a great story behind that, um, where that came from the book that's really funny. So that line precedes me. People go, do you get tired of it? I'm like, hell no, I don't get tired of it. For those reasons. I had a one-off-night one, night, one night job in, this, in Austin, Texas in 1992 that I thought might be a hobby I get to do for a day, and that's it. 28 years later, I've made a career of it and love it. Now, just keep living. That's a line that came to me because five days into shooting Days and Pews, my father moved on, I meaning he passed away. And it was my first night back at work after being home, dealing with my father's wake and everything. And I was talking with Richard Linklater, the director. And he, and yeah. he was, you know, at those times in life, you start to think about what is life about. And I was like, it's about, you got to just keep living, man. It's like my dad, physically, he's not here anymore. So he's not physically alive. But what he taught me, and I can keep his spirit alive, you got to just keep living, man. And then set it in that scene that night on the football field in Days and yeah. Views. And then have taken it with me because it applies to every situation. There's a just keep living way to look at something, a just keep living way to choose on and everything. And I have not found one predicament, circumstance, or choice in life that the just keep living choice was not the better way to go. <laughs> yeah. How about a pandemic? I mean, this is now more than ever, right? Yeah. Well, here we go. And it's it look, it so how do we in this time sit here in this year that we can't wait to have in the rearview mirror, that we can't wait to get behind us? How do we how do we see a, a green light asset, a JK living asset out of this time? Well, as awkward and as tragic as it's been, we've got uh, COVID, we've got a culture revolution, we had all these, we had our lives somewhat politicized in yeah. an election year. Um, we don't trust each other, we don't know who to believe, there's no consensus, we don't trust our leadership. Well, how, how are you going to find a jet living moment out of that, McConaughey? Well, I think we all can. Mm-hmm. We've been forced to strip down our necessities, we've been forced to ask ourselves inside, what is it we value? Um, I got an 88 year old mother who's spending every single day with her grandkids, which she never would have done before. Incredible. That's an asset. They'll remember this seven months or year, however long it's going to go on until. Um, and we got a chance to look back at this year in the future. I don't know when as actually a tragic year, but a banner year at the same time where we reprioritize what we value. We reprioritize how, how, how we, how we look in the mirror and how we look at others how we respect ourselves and how we look at others where year where we press reset, where we had to, where politics, go politicians 
indirectly, hey, what's your purpose? What's your purpose, man? Because I don't get it. Um, show us your purpose. Redefine what politics is. It could be a banner year in all those ways that we look back. Oh, this was the inception year. We needed this rebirth. We needed this disruption to evolve. It's an amazing thing that you have taken a, a Wooderson line, the guy with the car and, and the joints and smelling the fingers. And all, all these years later, he's got wisdom, like wisdom beyond that role, beyond everything. It's incredible. Last question about Days and Confused, Matthew. It was, it was crazy. People lost their minds when your screen tests went online a few years back and you could see your initial reading. This is not for a point, but I find this fascinating. Can you tell me for your screen test what T-shirt you're wearing to play Wooderson? Um, tell me. Uh, I glanced at it. I didn't see that. I didn't see it, but it came up on my screen. I saw it. Yeah. I think my sleeves were cut off. Yep. Um, it's a badass it choice. Priest? Wait, was it Judas Priest or was it ACB? You're close. It wasn't Mellencamp. No, it was a show on MTV that would have featured Anthrax and Judas Priest. You <laughs> oh, showed up for the audition. Do you Ed remember? Headbangers Ball. Ball. Yeah. yeah, with Ricky Rackman. That's, <laughs> I mean, I loved Headbangers Ball. It was Megadeth and all that great shit. And yeah. that's what you wore for, to show up the audition. Yes. <laughs> Hence, I got the part. That's right. Headbangers yeah. Ball. That's incredible. All right, Headbangers Ball, you are two for three. Moving on to question four. Matthew, your category is herbs and spices. Let's get into our head now. I said you're going to have to find your, your inner major apple white. This might even be VY. Matthew, your question. What herb used commonly in American cooking was also used by ancient Egyptians for embalming? Oh. He says Salt. I would say use the 50-50, but you already burned it. This does oh, have something to do with your life. <laughs> I'm not sure salt is an herb, and I want to help you. Spice. Spice. No, spice. It's a, I'm looking for an herb. herb. Wait, an herb. Commonly used in American cuisine and Egyptian yes. embal uh, embalming. That's correct. It's it, Back in the day, the Egyptians would embalm with this herb, and right now I can make you like some chicken with this herb. It's everywhere. And it somehow has to do with you. And it somehow has to do with me. Um, yes. It is not marijuana. Not what? It's not marijuana. It is not that. It is an actual cooking herb. Not for brownies. Well, the eucalyptus and balms, but that's not an herb. So it's not mint. It's not marijuana. Does it grow in most American gardens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Matthew McConaughey says time. Is he right? He's right. It's time, dude. Time. T-H-Y-M-E. The Egyptians were using that back in the day. I'm at, why am I asking you about time? A time to kill. Yes. A, a time to kill. I love the movie. I remember seeing it in the theater. If anybody is listening rather than watching right now, I'm wearing the free Carl Lee t-shirt that I've had for years. Matthew, I know that did so much to change your life. There's a legendary casting tale about that movie where you got this Grissom novel and you got Schumacher and you got everybody and they could not find Jake Brigance. And they looked and they looked and everybody from Brad Pitt and everybody. And it just it wasn't happening. And somehow they cast the guy from Boys on the Side whose last name people were mispronouncing. What do you remember about getting that role and how that happened? Very clearly. 
Um, I went in to go meet, I got an offer for the role of Freddie Lee Cobb, that role that Kiefer Sutherland played. Okay, this is the yeah. racist guy who tries yeah. to kill well, Jane member, right? Okay, yeah. And I go in to meet Joel Schumacher on the Warner Brother lot about that role. I was wearing another sleeveless rock and roll t-shirt, this time a sleeveless Mellencamp t-shirt. And I oh, go in cool. there, as right. before I go, I not only read the script, I read the book. I'm like, after all my own, I'm like, dude, this is a good role, but I want this guy, Jake Bagans, the lead. Man. Hell yeah. So I get this plan. I said, I'm going to go meet, I'm going to go meet with Schumacher about this other role that I've got. We're going to talk about it. And if I can find the right moment, I'm going to try and plan a seat. And so we're in there and I remember I smoking cigarettes at the time. And we're talking about, we're talking about Freddie Lee Cobb. Yeah, it's going to be, it'll be great. And I said, yeah, I know who this guy is. You know, I knew somebody like this in my hometown, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, all right, great. And I was like, all of a sudden I was like, say, uh, who's playing the lead of uh, Jake Bagans? And he goes, um, I don't know. Who do you think should? And I remember I went inhale first because I was a little nervous. I went, I think I should. And he goes, ah, <laughs> great idea, but that's never happening. You're a relatively unknown. We have to have a big name in this. It's not going to happen. Ba, 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 ba. Didn't get the part right there, but I planted the seed. Okay. Because about two a month and a half, two months later, everybody else was cast in the movie. Yeah. Sandra Bullock was cast, the number three at Row Arc. She had just had a movie, While You Were Sleeping, come out, which did very well. Huge. So she's already put in there uh, in the third lead. But since she's had that lead, she has a movie that now she can green light a movie. So, whoa, the studio's like, well, we have a little more Moxie that's already cast here in roles. Samuel Jackson's in it. Um, Woody Harrelson was up for the role, but John Grisham had the writer of Time to Kill had approvals and he yeah. didn't appro- wouldn't approve uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, they were looking at Kevin Costner, I was told, but they were like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Maybe he's a little too old. All these things are going on as we're creeping to the start date of a Time to Kill, but they don't have the lead of Jake McGann's. And Joel Schumacher gets the idea, goes, look, I want to call you in for a screen test. We're going to do it on Sunday, Mother's Day. We're going to do this little spot off Fairfax, not on the studio lot, because no matter how well you do, it's still such a long shot that you'll get the role. I don't want it to go on your record that you tried and failed. Ah. Great. So I show up, go in there. It's the final summation. That's, that's, the, that's the audition. I studied it. I got up, first take, nailed it. Dot to dot, hit it off. But it was, it was good. It wasn't great. It was good, though. Okay. And then Schumacher says, now throw the script away. Say what you'd say. Threw the script away, and I went off and said things that a lawyer would never say. He would be kicked out of court and contempt of court for saying. Uh, cussed, spit, got angry, everything, broke a sweat. Nailed it. Mm. Um, Schumacher goes, okay, that's it. Moving on. That's plenty. Thank you. That's what I needed. Now, I still don't have the part because the studio's got to approve, and John Grisham's got to approve. About three weeks later, I'm in Pedro Snagers working on Lone Star in the middle of the desert about midnight. And I get a phone call from John Grisham and Joel Schumacher. And Grisham goes, my, my wife saw the um, your audition tape. And she said, that's you, John, because the character's based off him as well. Yeah. The studio had approved it. Joel wanted me and said, do you want to be Jake Bergance? I said, hell yeah, I do. Oh and uh, ran off into the desert, bent down on two knees in front of a full moon and put my hand up and said, thank you. That's beautiful. It's it's and I, I love the role. I, I love the scene, the summation. It's interesting though. You get the role. Oh shit! I'm the lead in a John Grissom movie. This is it. You're working with Sam Jackson, who's coming off Pulp Fiction, 
uh, Kevin Spacey, who won the Oscar, usual suspect. Charles S. Dutton, two Sutherlands in this. I mean, these are veteran film talents. And you're the guy from Boys on the Side. I mean, you were relatively inexperienced. When you show up to set to do these scenes, how did you feel? I was, I mean, I was pretty confident. Yeah. I knew Where'd my that man. Come from? I mean, I knew I knew my man. I knew enough to know. Look, there was was there butterflies, was there anxiety? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I I was I already understood on my own that look, look, if I know my guy, if I know who Jake Brigance is. Yeah. And, Joel Schumacher's direction throughout this to me was always like, anytime I get too heady, he'd be like, you're, you're Jake. To be you. Overthink of it. You yeah. are Jake. Now the other half is what I learned, which I found to be consistent throughout my career of working with major talented stars. You think, Oh, I'm going to go. This is going to be, I'm going to hear some magic trick. I'm going to learn some like, what magic. <laughs> no one's got a magic trick. Chino ain't got a magic trick. Spacey ain't got a magic trick. Carl, nobody has Anthony Hopkins. They don't have magic tricks. They are prepared and they do the work. And I found that the best actors, which a lot of them may be the most famous and have the most awards, are the easiest to work with Mm -hmm. because they're so present between action and cut. Mm -hmm. That's they don't teach you the ways of the force on set. They're they're prepared and they're professional and they're talented. And that's all it takes. It's- yeah, they're there. Like I said, the great directors, too. You know, they, they have a specific point of view. Uh-huh. Um, and they that's a look and they trust in that point of view. They don't make it complicated at all. Mm-hmm. They actually make it. I found the people that do it the best make it the least complicated. Is that true? Yeah. So people overcomplicate, they overdirect. You've run into that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have worked with many directors who look when it's going something and we could learn this in life too. something's going well. You're getting what you want out of out of somebody. Just sit there and go. Yeah. Let them let that don't step in and name it. Don't go. Yeah, because you're doing the thing. The thing. No, no, no. They're doing it. The communication between a director and actor is not what we say to each other. Uh-huh. My communication back to director is what I do in the scene. So if it's going well. To have the great best directors have the confidence to just sit back and either go <laughs> laugh or go moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, don't need to overcomplicate things when they're going well. Well, it's going really well for you right now, dude. And I mean, in life, I mean, your career, I mean, with the book, I mean, with Wild Turkey, and right here on 10 Questions, because you're three out of four. We're hitting the mid range of this show right now. However, Matthew, I'm going to need a fresh pour of the Wild Turkey for this one. <laughs> Because this one's going to get a little wild. I love this wild turkey. I said I was going to hit it. It's real bourbon. None of these. What did you call it? The the, the light varietals? or no yeah. bourbon light. <laughs> this is the real thing. All right. This is the first time we've ever done this category. We made it up just for you. This category for question five is what is Kyle playing? What that means is, Matthew, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, much like Jake Brigantz in the final summation. And I have an instrument here on the ground. It's kind of an unusual instrument that I play and I'm pretty good at. When you close your eyes, I'm going to play the instrument. And without looking, please identify for me what instrument that is. You got it? Yeah. Here we go. McConaughey is closing his eyes. I've got the instrument here. And without opening, tell me what instrument this is. This is Matthew McConaughey. What is Kyle playing? Bongo. It's a bongo. That was a quick answer. It was not, I consider it a didgeridoo and a banjo. It's a bongo. That's you a have bongo. incredible stuff in green lights about 
bongos as they pertain to you. Matthew, 1999, it's really the stuff of legends. And I mean, tabloid legend, internet fodder. I want to get the facts right about this. Yeah. So I'm going to read straight from the Associated Press. Okay, yeah. I went and found this shit. All right. Yeah. October 25th, 1999. Actor Matthew McConaughey was arrested early Monday during a disturbance at his home in which police said he was dancing naked and playing the bongo drums. Fact. No mistruth there? That's 100% fact so far. Okay. What happened that night? Well, there's a very detailed and hilarious story in the book. Yes. I was going to tell you this now we go on for an hour because it's worth the hour, but... I'll let you read for the details. So Texas had played Nebraska Cornhusker okay. football Saturday. Got a new, like an afternoon game. Horns win? Yes. They were, okay. Nebraska's undefeated. And this is 99. Beat, Nebraska was great. Is it Tom Osborne, Nebraska, maybe late era? I think okay. Bill Osborne. So we okay. beat them, dethroned them off the, uh, all right. Time to celebrate. Yeah. I celebrate after the game through Saturday night, through Sunday morning. Into Sunday, through Sunday, through Sunday night. Now into Monday morning, okay. the 19th, which is back that Monday that they were talking about in the AP. Right. And, you know, I guess around 2 o'clock, I decided it's time to wind it on down. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> that means it's let's get some rest. Let's, let's smoke a bowl and put on some Henri de Conge and pull out our drums and have a jam session. Okay. So, um I open the window. I got this beautiful jasmine garden in the back. Nice breeze blowing through there. I'm stripped down to my birthday suit. And I'm going to have one last jam session here with myself. And I start jamming. And I'm banging away in my bliss, just cruising out of my two-day, 36-hour party jump. Um, all of a sudden, I feel light on my face. I look up. I see light behind the light, two dark dressed objects with dark blue. So they were policemen. I go to resist arrest very heavily. Um, next thing I know, I've got a knee in my back and a nightstick across my back of my neck and my arms pinned behind me. And this, uh, this particular cop, uh, then finds my ID on the coffee table. Okay. And I remember this clear. This is what, one of the things that pissed me off is he, as soon as he found my ID, he goes, Oh, looky who we got here. And I was like, Oh, now you think you've got a prize, man. So I continue to try and resist. doesn't really work out, but I'm trying. So, now, this noise complaint has turned into resisting arrest. Now they got to take me down. Okay. All right? Yeah. Okay. Going to go down. So they go here. We're going to take you down and put some clothes on. And I'm very clear at this moment. Adamant. No, no, no. Not putting on any clothes. This is no proof clothes. of my innocence. Proof I'm minding my own business. If I put on clothes, it's going to help your story out. No way. So anyway, we get to go. We, we go outside. There's five cop cars. There's 40 neighbors. They try to put a blanket on me again. I'm like, get that damn blanket off me. I want everyone to see I was minding my own business. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they take me down, uh, buck naked, and they offer me again before I walk up to the front doors of the precinct. You want to put something? I said, nope, proof of my innocence. Shut up. I'm walking up, about to go through the double glass doors, and out comes this six-foot-five inmate, I guess. Okay. Or whatever we're going to call it. He's dressed in his jail cottons with a number stenciled in the right hip and he's got some cotton pants for me and i know what he's coming to hand me and i look at him and i go proof of my innocence man and he goes man we all innocent you do want to put these on 
And something about that it was coming from him instead of the cops. I went, okay. (laughs) Give me the pants. He went down, knelt down, shimmed shimmed on my legs and noosed him around my waist. And in I went. Spent nine hours in jail at night. Woke up the next morning not feeling guilty for what I had done, which I had done many times before and have done many times since. But feeling guilty because I was in jail. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you weren't raised to end up in jail. And I mean, my dad wasn't alive at the point, but I can, I can remember my dad, I could, I could hear my dad saying, it's not about what you did, son, but you got caught. You should have been better at not getting caught. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel good about that. Um, but anyway, when I got out, um, which the whole thing got thrown out on like a $50 fine because the judge and everybody couldn't understand how in the hell it went from noise complaint to resisting arrest. And the cop stories were all kind of muddled and fuddled. And so I got out and then the lawyer that was there said, look, I got a getaway car over here in the driveway. No one will see you leave. Or you can go out to the left and there's a whole lot of press out there. And I went, left I go. And I went out left and said something that made everybody laugh. And we all yeah. laughed. And the next day there were bongo neck and t-shirts all over Austin. <laughs> so when you went left and you leave jail, what are you wearing at that point? I think I got a, um, a horns uh, T-shirt on and my neighbor, the lawyer had picked up um, a, 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 like a, one of those members only jackets from my neighbor. They nice. dropped it off at jail because they all saw me leave and get in the car naked. So they had dropped off a box. <laughs> Close. Close. Like Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, people, people have benders. I've had a million myself. You, you, when it's time to crash, you know, you, you go to Denny's or you play video games, or you take a shot. Was that your routine, the Jasmine, and you take your clothes off and play bongos? Or was that like a one-time yeah, thing? Just a, just, a, just a great idea. Great idea. Could, would it have worked with the clothes on? Because that changes the yeah, whole story. It, 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 it works with the clothes on, but probably won't, probably don't, probably don't play as well. <laughs> Now, the real surprise, McConaughey, would have been if you closed your eyes and I'm sitting here playing these things naked. <laughs> hey, the camera, the bottom of the camera, you, you, you're, you're what God gave you to down there. Go for it. The last detail, the AP report also says that there was a second man clapping while you danced naked. Where's that guy? Because he's got a book in him. Who's that? There was no second man clapping. <laughs> My buddy was asleep. It already passed out like about six hours earlier. Yes. And he was in the back end of the house. Okay. He was not. He. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody he, clapping. Yeah. That, that's which, which I don't know. That kind of makes the story better. <laughs> we got to find that gentleman somehow. <laughs> he's got his own green lights book in him. Oh my gosh, Matthew, uh, you've been incredible, and you have a four out of five. You're threatening to break the all-time score right now, but we're moving on to a very difficult category. Question number six, your category is European history. Oh, geez. The Renaissance period began during the 14th century. In what country did the Renaissance begin? Matthew whistles when he's thinking. I find that fascinating. What do you think? You got no coin toss. Where'd the Renaissance begin? What country? Sounds very French, doesn't it? It does. It does. Feels feels sort of uh, like it started in England, though, doesn't it? I don't know. Sounds 
very French. You're not giving any, any verbal cues. Ever. <laughs> You're doing too well, dude. Normally, I'm carrying people at this point. Right, I'm going to say this is one of those things where me and my buddy like to say, I don't know, but I passed that test. So I'm going to say it was um, French. Conahe says the Renaissance began in France. In the 14th century, the Renaissance began in Italy. In Italy. Italians, that makes sense. Yeah, you got yeah. Da Vinci. And it's interesting. Renaissance. Renaissance. It started in Italy because they had a lot of wealthy people who could afford the theater and the arts and the sculpture. So that's how it went. That's how it became it. I think at this point, Matthew, and you, you, you've always been so good on this, especially in the book, I think the Renaissance is potentially less famous than the Meconnaissance. How do you like that term? When you hear Meconnaissance, is it an, an eye roller or are you like, that's fucking funny? Okay. Here's another thing. Right, I'm going with bourbon. What do you got? I'll tell you why I like the Meconnaissance. Around, well, I forget what year it was. Anyway, I was at Sundance with the film okay. Mud. I think I had yep. two films there. And I'd done a few films, but I'd just done... Um, Lincoln Lawyer, I'd just done uh, uh, Killer Joe. Anyway, I was on a bit of a roll coming out of this two-year hiatus where I'd only done rom-coms before for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this, uh, um, people have been saying, man, you're on this, you're on this, this, this run, man. You're hot. No, you're like, everything you're doing, you're knocking it out of the park. And I, my mind thinks very musically, you know? And so I sit down with this, uh, in this interview and this guy says the same thing. He says, man, you've been like on a run here, man. Um, you know, this, this, this move, this move, this move, it's like a movement. And I went, at that moment, I just go, yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody else uh, earlier today who was interviewing, and they said the same thing, and they called it a reconnaissance. And the guy goes, reconnaissance, that's great. And I went, yeah, it's pretty cool. He goes, do you like that term? And I go, fits the meter, comes off the tongue pretty easy, fun to say. You know, it's kind of nice if, if, you know, if I'm putting together a certain album right now, it needs an it needs a, the album needs a cool title. Reconnaissance is cool. He's got Reconnaissance. That's great. Maybe it'll stick. Well, it stuck. <laughs> but what I didn't tell anybody until now is that I was the one <laughs> who planted it. You did. Yeah, I, I I just came up with it at that point because I was like, it need, this 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 album I'm making needs needs it needs a cover. It needs yeah. it needs it needs a slug. It needs a bumper sticker. It needs a campaign slogan. And so I threw reconnaissance out there and it stopped. But I couldn't sit there and say in the interview, I think it should be called reconnaissance. People would go, F you, dude, arrogant prick, blah, blah, you know. But if I had to say someone else said it, then maybe it would live on and it did. It's not cool to give yourself a nickname or to make up a name for your own rebirth, for sure. And I know you detail this in the book. Matthew, it's interesting to look at this. When, if you were to pull up the McConaughey IMDb credits, all through the late 90s and the 2000s, just bang, 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 bang. And you hit Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. And then there's this gap of two years. And I know a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking and a lot of strategy went into that gap. Yep. Why? So I've been rolling, my big hits up to that point were the rom-coms and action comedies. And I loved, they were fun to do. And they paid handsomely. I was... But it, they were re- doing so well that the other, any kind of dramas I wanted to do were not getting offered, no matter how big of a pay cut I would take. No, no, not doing that with McConaughey. Well, at the same time, I'm living an endless summer. 
I'm shirtless on the beach. Paparazzi catch me all the time. So basically I noticed that, oh, you are rom-com McConaughey and shirtless on the beach McConaughey. And as I said, I was happy with all those rom-coms and have said then and still say now, and those rom-coms are what paid the rent for the houses that I ran shirtless on the beach on. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So I was enjoying the time, but but it had become such a thing that I wasn't being even thought about or considered for the other type of roles I was looking for. So if I couldn't do what I wanted to do, I said, I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing. Meaning I'm not going to rebrand. I'm going to unbrand. Now I didn't have that term until after the two years, but I said, I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing and check with my money, man. Hey, I have a save my money. Hey, you've saved it pretty well. I said, cause I might be going with that work for a while. He goes, okay. Check with my agent. Yep. You know, shed many a tear with Camilla about the idea. Cause I didn't know if I, I didn't know how long I wasn't going to go to work. And the first six months of me saying I'm not doing rom-coms, the only thing that came in on offer were rom-coms. Then after I said no to a $14.5 million offer of a rom-com, I you think how much? I got 14.5. Wow. All right. The, it sort of sent the message to anyone that maybe thought I was bluffing that I was not bluffing. <laughs> and they were like, Okay. He's, he's not bullshitting here. He's really not doing it anymore. Well, then for 14 months after that, nothing came in. Nothing. I'd call my agent every week. He's like, buddy, I got to be honest. I hadn't even heard your name spoken. Yeah. So I was forgotten. Persona non grata. I'm thinking about I may start another career. I maybe never work in Hollywood again. Maybe I'll go be a wildlife instructor, an orchestral yeah. conductor, a teacher. I don't know, but something else. And then after a total of 20 months of being out, not in your living room or in the theater, or on the beach shirt. This, you know, where is McConaughey been? Mm-hmm. After 20 months of that, I suddenly became a new and novel. Hey, you know, it'd be a good idea for a lawyer. You know, it'd be a bright idea or kind of really interesting casting for Killer Joe, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Then I did Mud. I did Bernie. I did Detective. I did Magic Mike. I did Dallas Buyers Club and went on a uh, run, just started voraciously attacking those sort of more dramatic roles that that, that, that I was looking for. It's fascinating. I, I, I have a few few questions, and what a decision! What a, what a, what a choice strategically. When you say those roles that you wanted, they weren't going to me; they were going to other guys. Who who are the other guys? Are these? Is this is this Leo? Is this Ed Norton? Like who are the guys? Yeah, yeah. guys like that. Yeah, I mean, they were going to them. They were going to uh, um, those guys. They were they were dramatic roles. That maybe though they wouldn't have specifically done, but even if they were roles that that are scripts that I wanted to do that maybe they wouldn't have got done. I they were ones that even if I pulled out an independent that I was like ah sure and I'd done some at that time that was they were acting roles they were roles that weren't all leads either. Um, a lot of them were like playing that playing that playing the dark character the bad guy, but they were all different kind of outsiders. Um, that sort of live by their own legend and their own constitution. Um, you know, it's the stuff you had Leo, Ed, Brad Pitt, all, all those guys were getting offered at least to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was not even in the consideration mm-hmm. of those. Um, and like I said, even before that 20 month period, if I wanted to do those for a major pay cut, students were going, nah. And I think the audience was probably going, nah, we love him as the rom-com guy. And I'm not, I don't, don't make me switch over and think of him as that. So that, that can happen sometimes when you do something that succeeds a lot. You can look over and go, oh, did it cancel out the opportunity of believing me in this other type of role? 
So yeah, that's why I took off all that time. I think that it, the real crux of it that's fascinating for me is why not keep that life? You're living on the beach. You have a beautiful family. Make a movie or two a year. Take a ton of money. Get the girl at the end. What What was it about you that said I, I can't keep doing this because that yeah. is a great life that you worked real hard for. Why not yeah. keep doing it? Good question. Really good question. Trust me. You sound like my sound like my two brothers and my mother. What yeah, you, right. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> are you are you mentally vegetating here for us? analysis, buddy? Fourteen point five, Matthew. Do the movie. Get the girl. What are you talking about you know. Um, so my life at that time, I was falling in love with Camilla. Okay. And we had just had our first child. Man never feels more masculine than after the first child. Me, oh, so yes. here. You know what I mean? Yep. You got children. I have two kids. Yeah, boy and a girl. After that first one, man, it's the time to triple down on any instinct you got. <laughs> because you're now immortal. And your head and your heart are clear. And it's not a macho thing. It's a masculine thing. And so, but my life was very vital, man. I was laughing harder, uh, crying harder, loving harder, getting angrier harder. But yet, the roles of the rom-coms were very compressed emotions. The ceiling and the basement on, on the emotions of a rom-com actor are very compressed. Sure. They have to stay buoyant. They have to sort of bounce from cloud to cloud. You can't yell that loud. Oh, geez, man, it's over. The movie's over in 10 minutes. Yep. The, the audience won't believe you'll ever make it back. You can't laugh that loud or be or be that overly happy because it's like, wait, <laughs> not down. You know what I mean? But dramas allow that sort of the, that really wide threshold and high ceiling and bottomless basement of the emotions of the actor that takes the role. Well, I was being that guy in my life. But I said, oh, my life feels so much more vital than the, the stories I'm acting in. The man I am in my life feels so much more alive than the man I am in the movies. And I remember looking in the mirror going, well, if it's got to be one way or the other, McConaughey, at least it's that way because the other way would suck, right? Yeah. But I said, well, I at least want to try and do work that can challenge the vitality that I'm feeling in my life. Because I'm feeling a bit neutered, a bit pulled back when I'm going to do some of the work that I've been doing in the rom-coms. I'm not able to express myself fully. And so that's what it was. It was, just, it was sort of a choice for my own soul to go, I dare you. I dare you, McConaughey. See if you, can, see if you can hold out and maybe you can get work doing the kind of work you want to do. And maybe you don't. Maybe you have, maybe you have to find another job. But let's find out. God damn, it's so cool. And I got to tell you, as a fan of your work, I'm so thankful you made that choice because making that choice, we got to get True Detective. And, you know, I didn't right. need Made Manhattan 2, remade in Manhattan. I, I didn't want a True Detective. So thank you for making that choice. Damn and up. thank you for kicking so much ass on this show, dude. We're going to question number seven. We're cruising. I'd love to talk about this all day because you're fascinating. We got to get moving. Question number seven, your category is who's doing McConaughey? Matthew, there was a period with late night shows where I think the producers of those shows would just go to the guest and be like, hey, do you do a McConaughey impression? Great. That's all we need. <laughs> that was it. It was like, I don't care about you or what you're plugging. Do you do a McConaughey impression? If so, you can go on our show. I got two of them here. I'm going to play yeah. you two of them. And you got to get both for the point. These are two actors doing McConaughey impressions on late night shows. Okay. You will hear one directly after the other. If you get them both, you get the point. Play both clips back to back, please. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I see a lot of lovely ladies in the house tonight. I like that. Before a game, sit down, play a little ball, maybe break a sweat first, have the kids, children, family, intentions. <laughs> wow. Intentionality. 
Key with the football, passing it down the line. It's a great game, great game, great invitation of the world. <laughs> I've never heard the Hathaway one. That was great. So that was Matt Damon and Hathaway. All right. Here's what's crazy, Matthew. Was that Damon and Hathaway? Oh, whoa! You know who the first one was? No, don't tell me. It wasn't Damon. I dicked you, dude. I'm sorry. You I feel bad. You did. I knew you were going to oh. think it was Damon. It was not Damon. Give me a hint. It's a sort of Matt Damon-looking guy who's a little younger, and you've worked with him, and he dances really well. Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> I, love, I love Chalamet. Older than Chalamet. <laughs> you were in a movie in which uh, women lust over and touch your body, and you gyrate your hips with this gentleman. He's magic. Oh, oh. yeah. Channing? Channing. Channing's good impersonator. Way to go, Tatum. Channing and Hathaway. Um, We mentioned Anne Hathaway. This past weekend, my wife and I, we have never seen Interstellar before, and we watched it. And holy shit, you are good in that movie. I I mean, I mean that completely earnestly. It was unbelievable. I want to talk to you specifically, quickly, about the one scene now, this scene has become, you know, a meme and a gif. And it is a scene in which, if you haven't seen the movie, Matthew's traveling through space and he leaves his family behind. And after him, them not seeing him for many, many years, they send him videos. And Matthew does the most raw thing an actor can do is sit there, watch the videos of his children and react. And I'm sitting there bawling on the couch. My wife is bawling. I was so unbelievably moved by your reaction in those scenes. And it was goosebumps. What went into those, Matthew? How, how did you get to that place yeah. where you performed like Great that? Great question. And you've actually kind of given the answer um, where you probably didn't even know it, um, but you said it in your question a couple of times. So that was a Monday morning. Um, first shot up. Okay. Uh, it's not a scene about knowing the dialogue. It's not about saying the right word. It's about reacting, which is the word you just used. Um. I got to go into that and just say, relax, get ready to receive. Now, here's the trick. And I did this with the final summation and the time to kill Joe Schumacher. I walk in and I'm pretty much in my, on those days, I'm in my own zone. I'm not looking anybody else in the eye. I'm in my own zone to receive whatever that's going to happen in the scene. And I hear, and I have something in my hand written in case I need it. And then I hear Nolan start to go, okay. We're going to set up cameras over here's wide and here's wide. And then we'll rehearse it one time. We'll play the video. And I just kind of walked over with that look. And I'm kind of up and he goes, yeah. And I hand him this thing. It's a piece of paper that has two letters on it. C U means close up. So he goes, that's me letting him know, no, don't do the wide shots. And all this, we're getting close now. And he goes, all right, we'll rehearse. And I just look up and I go, which is what I mean by going, uh-uh. we ain't rehearsing live roll. And what you see in that take, that's the, that's the first take. Mm-hmm. Everything after take one is acting. Take one is where you really are reacting. And so I wanted to see that tape of the footage of my children in the movie for the first time, not have any anticipation of what's going to come next or what they're going to say next. Or I wanted to and, and, and just receive it and then let happen what happens. I'm not trying to do anything in that scene. 
well, after you do one take and, you know, take two and take three, we're okay. But we were like, take one, that's it. Because what are you going to do now? Take three or any anything after take one. Take two and on. You can't help but kind of know what's coming. <laughs> and then you start to anticipate a little bit and get ahead of yourself. And go, Oh, this is when they're about to say that thing, which really got me last time. We well, are already out of the moment. Yep. So that's take one. It's amazing. And I it occurred to me after I watched it, I think the reason it resonated, especially right now, you know, you mentioned your mother with her grandchildren. That scene where you're in space and you can't see your children, you're watching video of them. There's millions of people going through that right now in the world. Yeah. We have grandparents. That scene is essentially a grandparent looking at a Zoom session with their grandchildren that they haven't seen in a year. It's aunts and uncles who haven't seen their loved ones in a year. It's, it's brothers and sisters who haven't yeah. seen each other right now in 2020. And I think that's why I started crying. And I know wow. this was years ago before COVID, but that scene that you lived, the world is going through that right now. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but you're absolutely, yeah, you're right to an extent. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Some people are going to have that reaction when they get reunited. I know. When we go back and re-engage. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, 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 and you watch them. I always say this about acting. If you get to be an I, or you are the subject, yeah. if there's someone that you haven't seen and you get reunited with them and you so dearly, you so dearly miss them and you're feeling, thinking about whatever it is, all yeah. the things you lost and didn't see. No actor can do be any more true than how you feel in that moment when it happens. First take, one take. Life's one take. One take. You watch, that's why I love documentaries. If you see documentaries where people actually react and not trying to perform, the acting gets no better than that. That's life. You cannot improve. You can do a different version. You can't improve on that. Someone's real reaction. So some millions of people who do get reunited and have a similar reaction as I did, they will be doing, I I was actually doing, working off a script. They'll be working off a live script. And and nobody can be acting any better than they are. It's the best there is. That was take one on Monday morning from McConaughey and Interstellar. We have three questions left. You're four out of seven. Question number eight, your category is award show. In 2014, who won the primetime Emmy for outstanding lead actor in a drama series? Bam, easy. Cranston. He says Cranston, referring to Brian Cranston. Is he right? Goddamn right he is. Walter White, uh, you were there. Harrelson was there. It was a loaded category, and you lost to Walter White for your role in True Detective. Dude, True Detective was about the most badass thing of the decade. Before we start to talk in here, I rewatched the six-minute tracking shot through the slums and the robbery. It's the coolest thing ever. What do you remember about that night, those many nights, I'm sure? What do you remember about that shot, dude? Here's what I remember after we shot it, is that... When I was in Kerry Fukunaga's office in New Orleans, four weeks before we even started production, okay. that tracking shot, mapping that out about how it might could possibly go, was on his wall. Now, we didn't shoot that shot until three months later. We were already two months into shooting when we came across that scene. So it was already he was working on planning that out. Now, I remember this. We would go starting about a month before that shot on the weekend. We'd take a couple hours and go out and take the script, a whole production crew, because there were lost so many moving parts. Yep. Special effects, who's putting up the squib, 
actors, uh, stunts, helicopters, timing. It's got to be so coordinated with the camera going through it. And we would walk through it and kind of ADs calling out shots. And then Russell goes this, and he goes down, shot squib goes off over his head, make sure he lowers before the squib goes off because blah, blah, blah. Take the pipe. It was, we're walking through it, calling out the shot. Then I'm walking through it. When I had to go through those things, I start calling out, try to make music, try to make, try to get the choreography, like music. And it's a seven-minute scene. Well, we get there to shoot it uh, that night after many weekends of rehearsing it. And first take goes pretty well. We can do better. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth <laughs> take. Now, my, my whole wardrobe, you wouldn't know I was sweating because there were no sweat marks because there was nothing dry. It's like, sure. you can't tell if you're sweating if you dunk your clothes in water. Right? <laughs> they right. just become a darker shade completely. Yeah. And I'm dripping, but we're going to, and we get back up. I think it was the seventh take. I think. We come in, barge in that living room. There's a, there's a guy out here supposed to swing the barrel of a gun at a guy. As he swings it, you hear the other guy, oh, like, like he, he connected a little bit and just see yeah. connected. Why am I even noticing that? I should be in the scene enough where I don't even notice that because it's live. Well, then I go and I, and I, and I go to, you know, spin and go down, but I kind of slip, but the squib goes off anyway, right at my ear. Yeah. And I just go, whoa, 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 time out, time, 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 time. And everybody's just wasted, tired. And I remember we go, and you know what? It became a consensus right there on set that we need to call it. Because something, we're about to have a, a mistake. Every, everyone's so fatigued. We don't want to take that chance. And then Carrie looked at stuff and he goes, you know what? I got it. I got it. I think it was a take four or the one or the one previous from six, but we had it. And that's what's in the movie. Oh, that's what Drew said. Absolutely electric. Thank you for making that. I mean, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. We have two questions left, Matthew. We're going to finish strong. I want you to get both of these. All right. Yeah. This last one, question number nine. This category is finish this lyric. I know you like to think in terms of music and albums. I'm going to play you a song, popular song that I'm sure you've heard. It's going to play and it's going to stop. And when it stops, you have to finish what the vocalist is going to say. Here we go. Matthew McConaughey, as I'm going to pour yet another little, little dollop of wild turkey, which is beautiful. Finish this lyric. You irresistible <laughs> i love your spirit is it you're irresistible oh no hang on hang on hang on that was to myself all right was, that was to himself i won't count that matthew would you like to would you like to rectify these <laughs> your booze get out of here i was singing to myself give me a second take a moment do your whistling beat your chest Take you away the things you say. Done. Unbelievable. That's quite the answer. He says he's positive. Now I'm gonna play the answer. Is it irresistible or is does he get the point by saying unbelievable? Unbelievable, that's man. You're unbelievable. Yeah! Yeah. That was dicey, dude. That was really dicey. And I'm gonna give it to you. Why am I playing you this song? This is one of my favorite McConaughey takes. And I know you got great takes and you have such an incredible intellect, but you fucking hate the word unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> to, 
Tell so, us why. Why do you hate the word unbelievable? All right. It's so silly. It's such a kind of- <laughs> <laughs> But I love it. I'm here for yeah. this. Look, so what do you mean it's unbelievable? It just happened. All right? Whether to the upside of something incredible and awesome in life that you are going, what an unbelievable sunset. What an unbelievable run back for the touchdown. What an unbelievable performance. What are you talking about? Would you ever give a little more credit to what life can give? It happened. It's there. It's real. It's not unbelievable. It is awesome, but it ain't unbelievable. Believe it. It's right there. Now, other things. Oh, my gosh, this COVID time, this tragedy. Uh, uh, People, you know, and that guy, he was so mean. And and, and, and there's this kind of ism in the world. And there's that kind of ism. And I just, I mean, the the torment and that hurricane, it's just unbelievable. (laughs) No, it's not. It just happened. Stop saying unbelievable. It's... (laughs) Stop it. Because it's just like, you know, get on with it. It, it. It's we're denying the extraordinary things that can happen in life. We're denying the most banal things that, that, that the evil that mankind can possess. You know what I mean? It's like we need to own up uh, to both of those sides, the lows and the highs. They are not unbelievable. And to finish that off, there's one thing, especially when people say this about other people. I can't believe it did. That it was unbelievable. <laughs> there's one thing. That we can depend on people being, it's people. It ain't they, they ain't unbelievable. They, they're tri- <laughs> we're tricky monkeys, man. So, so they, they, none of it unbelievable. It's it's. I love that take. I'm so glad we got that in. Six out of nine. The last question, Matthew. You can finish with a seven out of ten, which is a beautiful score. Question number ten is always our essay. I find something that you believe in or have done or have stand for. And I give you 30 seconds to just have the floor and justify it. Basically an essay form. If I feel like I'm convinced, I give you the point. If I'm not, you get nothing. Let's settle this once and for all. You don't believe in wearing deodorant. Convince us why you are justified in doing so. Well, one, as we've come to know, most deodorant's not good for you. The under your arms is an actual pore, a large pore, which you can ingest chemicals from, all in the name of a bit of vanity to say, hey, I'd like to smell like somebody else other than myself. No. Um, also, women, people that I like, what's your normal pheromone? I don't want you smelling like somebody else's name that's on the bottle of that lady who made that perfume for their body. I don't want that on my girl. No, 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 no. It's like, I hope you don't want me with certain cologne on me that's telling you going, oh my gosh, you really smell like Chanel. No, my name is Matthew, actually. You can go over to Chanel if you want to smell like Chanel. All right, so, so, the deodorant, if you're drinking enough water, you know, it should be all right. The sweat's okay. It's not gonna have too much of a sense. It's gonna run somebody off. If you're not, I understand. You might want to grab yourself a salt rock and call reset under the old armpits there from time to time. But no, thank you. Uh, I don't. I don't really want someone else's uh, scent on me or on my loved ones' noses. You you admit that O'Day McConaughey. That is your scent. That is the scent God gave you. And believe me, it is believable. And so is this, Matthew. You have finished the 10 questions an unbelievable effort you were out of here with a seven out of ten we learned so much dude what a kick-ass performance by you i have only one last thing to ask you it happens at the end of every episode 
there's a call out where you look into someone that you know or that you've worked with or as friends of yours and say, I challenge you to come on the 10 questions and try to beat my seven out of 10 score. Matthew, all the people that you know in your life that you put together this incredible Rolodex and group of friends, who do you think should come on here and compete with your seven out of 10, maybe like a Vince Young versus a Matt Liner type deal? Well, you know, it'd be a lot of fun. Tell me. Well, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if he's going to get five out of 10. <laughs> you got a seven, my friend. I got a seven, but or he, he might surprise me. You, you ought to have Woody Harrelson. I fucking love it. I love that Woody. Be, that that would be some stories. And I'd like to see how his old recall works. <laughs> so look to the camera and just say, what's up, Woody? Come on here and challenge my seven out of 10. Yo, Wood, Wood. Made a seven out of 10. You know, I mean, hey, that's still a passing grade. Making C's, like I said in the book, man. I'd rather be an experienced C than a than a than a than an ignorant A. You know what I mean? Because you know that all the A's work for the C's. If I'd have made a seven out of ten. You could come and make a six out of 10. That would be failing in today's. But if you go back to the 80s, they were still giving Ds and you'd still be passing. So if you can get six out of 10, not even seven, I challenge you to get six out of 10, just a passing grade. Come on, answer 10 questions. Let's go get Woody or Wood, as Matthew calls his brother. That's it. Matthew McConaughey, you were unbelievably cool. You lived up to all the hype. I've watched you creating your art for years. It has made my life better. It has made my family happier. Thank you so much. And just promise me one thing, Matthew. Promise me you will just keep living. I'm going to do my best, Kyle. Let's do it every day, huh? Incredible. Matthew McConaughey, please look into Wild Turkey with Thanks, which kicks so much ass. I finished damn near a quarter of the bottle. Go to Instagram's Wild Turkey on Instagram. And please get McConaughey's book. One more time up top, Matthew. I love you, brother. So nice to meet you. And so thank you for doing this. That is Matthew McConaughey. We will see you next time on 10 Questions, my friends. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malalay, Steve Allman, and Jackson Safan. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.